Hey, we are, uh, we're in a second part of a series called Rich in God. Would you tell that person next to you, say, Rich in God. That's right. So uh, for you guys that weren't here last week to hear the message, you won't be rich in God. I'm just, no, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, we, we started into this thing. Um, Jesus was uh, uh, confronted by a young man who wanted the older brother to give him more of the inheritance or give him part of his inheritance. Obviously, his father had passed. And Jesus didn't get involved in their conflict, but what he saw was the greed in the two brothers' heart. Obviously, they're both standing there in, in a big conflict. So Jesus then tells a parable. We covered this last week in Luke chapter 21, I think it was, something like that. And as he covers it, what he says is he goes, he tells a story about a rich man who God favored, and he had a bumper crop. And he made so much income in that moment that his barns that he had already as a rich man wasn't enough to hold it. So the man says, I'll tear down my barns, and I'll build newer barns. And then he gives... The greed of his heart comes out and he says, um, he says, so you know what, so that I can live my life with ease and I can sit back, drink, eat, and be merry. And Jesus continues on with his storyline and he says there is parable. And he says, and that night God came to him and said, tonight you will die. And Jesus continues on with a statement. He goes, for everyone in this life who lives like this, he says, because they're not rich in God. There's a rich in God that the Bible talks about. In fact, I taught you last week, if you were here, that there are two judgments. There's the first judgment where God, at the end of the world, will separate out the Christians and the non-Christians, or as he calls it, the sheep from the goat. And the goats will be cast into eternal darkness because of the decisions that they've made not to serve the living God and not to acknowledge Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. And then those of us that have followed Jesus will be welcomed into eternal life. But then there'll be a second judgment. For those of us that are Christians, we will stand but the rest of the the people, uh, will stand before Jesus and give an account for what we did in this life, where we sowed, where we held up, uh, where we held up what his expectations for us, where we fulfilled our calling, our purpose, where we rebelled against him. And the Bible talks about there will be reward. Uh, and that's why it says, and store up for yourself, not riches in this life where rust and moth do steal away, but store up for yourself riches in heaven where no one can take it away. And we discussed with you, you know, Corinthians talks about this. It's not really clear. Scholars can't really, they argue back and forth. Well, so what is the reward? Well, some of us have bigger mansions. We, we have a higher uh, level of responsibility and authority. There, there's no clarity on what the rewards will result in, but that there will be rewards and that there will be a value on that. And so Jesus is teaching that, and we were teaching last week about let us be rich in God, not rich in the things of this world. And so with that being said, today we jump into our second part about being rich in God. And what we're going to talk about today is found in Jeremiah chapter 29. This is our key passage today, Jeremiah 29 and 11. Most of you uh, have this as one of your life passages, and so it's fun that we're bringing it out today. It's one of my life passages. Jeremiah 29 11. It's not really verse 12. It should be just verse 11. There we go. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that as we minister this truth, that every man and woman uh, that are here live with us, those that are watching the live stream, those that are watching podcasts later, they would get this truth of how you desire to prosper us and have that in the balanced way by which you declare it all throughout your scriptures in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. So prosperity... Dictionary.com has a great definition of what it is to be prosperous or prosperity. It is a successful, flourishing, or thriving condition. A successful, flourishing, or thriving condition. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to successful you. I know it's not right English. Plans to 
Successfully plans to thrive you. Come on, somebody. Plans to flourish you. God has a plan to prosper you. Prosperity, as you and I know it, as as smart people, prosperity has less to do about how much money and how much junk you have, and much more to do with the fact that your wife still loves you. Come on, that is success. That your kids aren't perverts. Come on now, that is success. That is prosperity. That you're flourishing in the work of your hand. That you find yourself at peace when you lay your head on your pillow at night. And I'll tell you something, being super rich is not going to give you that kind of prosperity, because I'll tell you, the rich people of the world live every moment wondering who's going to murder them, steal them, kidnap them. Back in the 90s, some of you remember, there was a guy by the name of Bill Gates. We talked about him all the time in the 90s and early 2000s because he was the richest man on the planet. And Bill Gates, I read this article back in the, in the early 2000s where his children were the number one children to potentially be kidnapped and held for ransom. When you're worth $40 billion and you've got two or three kids, a whole country could plan to kidnap your children what would you be willing to give to get your kids back? Would you give $20 billion? You better believe he would. Can you imagine those poor kids? They never got to go to Disney World. If they got to go to Disney World, they had to shut it all down, and they were the only ones that got to play there. Can you imagine how that kind of wealth, that kind of, if you will, uh, money, that kind of problems, wealthy, wealthy, wealthy people will tell you how much difficulty they go through day in and day out, not knowing, are you my friend because you want to be my friend, or are you my friend because you're trying to get something from me? The difficulty. So when God says, I have a plan to prosper you, he's not talking about how he can make you more miserable. Come on, somebody. He's talking about how he can make you successful, how he can cause you to flourish, how he can cause you to thrive in this life. And there are multiple factors to success. There's multiple factors, what you and I would call prosperity. And so as we dive into this today, I was reminded, you know, a couple years ago, I... uh, I had this great experience. Um, I ended up with a boil just below my knee, right here on my shin. There's not a lot of flesh there, you know. And I had this boil, and I don't know about you, but I'm a picker. I'm a squeezer. Come on, somebody. I, I mean, in high school, I wanted to see it hit the mirror. You know what I'm saying? Uh, like, that's, that's how I am. So I got to picking at this thing, and it was sort of probably, I thought maybe it was a little infected hair, so I'm squeezing it and stuff. And finally, after a couple weeks being a typical dude, I was like, this is bad. And my wife's like, you need to go to the doctor. So I go to the doctor and he tries to diagnose it. He's not sure if it's a staph infection or if I had been bit by a brown recluse, which is what he was leaning towards. And so he prescribed me some antibiotics. And so he gave me a big pill, uh, pill jar of them, you know, and I went and, you know, fulfilled the prescription. And I think it was two weeks of taking these antibiotics like twice a day or something like that. And so about two days into taking it, it, it looked better. I felt better. So I just stopped taking it. Well, about two weeks into that, all of a sudden, stuff is coming out of my leg that looks like it's coming from the pits of hell. I mean, I can tell that my flesh is being eaten away. And so I finally get in the car. Jamie's like, you're going now. And I go up to the doctor's office, and he looks at it. He's like, what did you do? I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, did you take the antibiotics? I said, I did. He said, you took the whole thing? I said, well... I said, I took him for two days. I got to feeling better. And so I stopped. He goes, you dummy. I gave you a prescription that would take you through day in and day out and the amount that you needed to completely knock this infection out. Now, as a result, the flesh is dead and I'm going to have to cut it out with a knife. So he shoots some number in it and starts cutting my flesh out in front of me. I'm like, all because, listen to me, I didn't follow the plan. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. 
plans to prosper you, plans to cause you to be successful. But guys, he has a plan. And what happens many times is you and I will half try his plan. We'll kind of do his plan. We may do a little bit of his plan. And when things start happening a little bit better, we're like, well, I'm good. I don't need to worry about it anymore. And you look up and God's having to cut out dead flesh out of our lives simply because we haven't followed his plan. At the end of the day, God wants to prosper you, but his prosperity, if you will, has a plan involved in it and connected to it. And his prosperity is less about you driving big fancy cars and much more about you and I living at peace. Come on. Much more you and I having our needs met. Much more about our kids serving God with all of their heart. Much more about the protection of God over our lives. And as we jump into this today, I want to show you a beautiful passage of Scripture. We're going to look in the passage of Malachi. But tonight, today we're going to cover two of God's plans to get you prosperous. Today we're going to look at two of the pieces all throughout Scripture that we find over and over again as recurring themes. We'll come back next week and look at another one and then the final week as well. So we're going to look at the strategies of God to prosper you. The first and foremost one, I know it's a dirty word, I hate to say it in church, but here we go. Number The first big part of his plan is for you and I to learn how to tithe. Oh, I know. Don't say it, Pastor. Don't say it. Or as I would call it, first fruits. We see that. Now, tithing, let me explain to you for you that don't know. Tithing is a spiritual principle of giving a tenth of your gross income to God. Tithing is a spiritual principle of giving a tenth of your income, your gross income, to whom? To God. Now, you find multiple places throughout Scripture where God talks about the tithe. We find multiple places where you find him talking about offerings and tithes and offerings. But I want to hone in into this Malachi verse. And, and I don't do this. You've got to know the sincerity of my heart. I'm not doing this because we need money here at the church. I'm doing this because I'm your pastor. And I have to help you get to the place of growth where you actually can prosper. And so if, if, if God, Dr. God was here, he would say to you, do you want that to stop leaking out? Do you want me to have to cut off your leg? Before it turns gangrene, why don't you... Take the prescription and follow it all the way through. And these are the pieces that sometimes get missed. And so let's start in Malachi chapter 3. And I'll read verses 8 through 12. It says, Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. Verse 11, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Now, what's transpiring in the book of Malachi uh, the, the children of Israel, they've been a part of the dispersa, as they call it, or they have been exiled for years. And what happened was Alexander the Great had conquered the rest of the nations of the world, come back, and allowed the Jews to go back to their homeland. Allowed them to go back to, to, to the city of David, to go back to Jerusalem. And so they had, for a hundred years, come back to the city of David. They come back to Jerusalem. They were able to, in that hundred years, they were able to rebuild the temple. It was magnificent. It was awesome. And you would think that all the years of being away from home, all the years of living under wicked rule, uh, now all of a sudden they get to come home and it's going to be magnificent. But the problem was that as they lived in the foreign lands, they got a part of the foreign culture. 
They became wicked in their hearts. And all the returning Jews began to live in wickedness. And even though they rebuilt the temple, they had all of this wickedness that they were living in. And so God sends Malachi to confront them, the prophet Malachi. And as you read through the book of Malachi, what you find is the entire book is a series of disputes. It starts with God saying, you've done this. And then the Israelites or the Jews saying, yeah, but we did this because of this, and you're not doing this. And then God's rebuttal to that. That's what the entire book of Malachi is set up in. It's about six disputes back and forth. When we get to chapter 3, the Israelites have started with a, with a dispute with God. They said, you've allowed our city, our nation, to be full of wicked people in leadership. There's injustice all around us. It's not fair. Little kids are being misused and misappropriated, this, that, and the other, and this, that, and the other. And God responds to them and says... Yes, the injustice is happening because of the greed in your heart. Because you have become so self-focused that you don't walk in righteousness. And as a result, the city is dying out because of unrighteousness. People are in leadership doing unjust things simply because of the greed of their heart. Friend, can I tell you, that sounds like the United States these days. You find that what we've got is an entire group of people. It's all about me. And an entire culture, it's about me, about mine. And God says, because of the greed of your heart, is the reason you have all this injustice all around you. And he says, so I can help you fix it if you'll stop robbing me. And that's where we pick up. He says, you have robbed me. And you ask, how have we robbed God? Because you've held back and not brought the tithes and the offerings into the storehouse. He says, if you would bring that in, I will open up the floodgates. He says, test me and see. And he brings them down through. He starts first and foremost with, you have robbed me. Can I explain something to you? Tithes and offerings is not between you and me, the pastor. It has nothing to do with me. This is between you and God. He says, you've robbed me. You've robbed me. You haven't robbed, I just need you to understand that here at the church, I am not God. I am not the head of this church. Jesus Christ is the head of church on the hill. He is Lord of lords and King of kings. That's your pastor. That's your leader. God has put me in place like a quarterback. I hand the ball off. I help you get better in training, but I am not your God. Somebody shout amen. Get a good vision of that. This is not my building. I don't own this building. My kids don't get to become the pastors because they're my kids. This is not a family business. This is God's business. Are you with me? Say yes. And when he says you robbed somebody, you've not robbed Church on the Hill. You've not robbed Adam, Pastor Adam King. You've robbed God. That's what he's telling them. And they're like, whoa, what do you mean we've robbed God? Why? Because the greed of their heart. He says, because you haven't brought the tithe, 10% of your gross income, into the storehouse. And he uses the word storehouse. He uses the word storehouse. You've got to understand, in, in Jewish culture, they had their synagogues for every city. They had their area where they would go to worship, their spiritual family. Their storehouse would represent their, their local church, their community of believers, uh, uh, their spiritual family. Would you put that on the screen for them? It, it, it represents their spiritual family, their, their, their local church. That's what it represents. When he's talking about the storehouse, that's, that's what he's talking about. He's not talking about, you know, the sweet person that you watch on TV who's a great teacher and you're giving them your 10% to their parachurch organization. He's talking about a, store, a storehouse. That's a place where we all know where it's at. It's a place where we go. And I always tell people, like, Pastor, I'm giving my tithe, you know, to so-and-so's ministry. I was like, great. Well, be sure to call them when you're sick in the hospital. 
be sure to ask them to do your wedding and be sure that they're the ones that are going to do your funeral when you die. Because none of us are going to show up because you're not a part of the family of, uh, of family of God in your local church. So, so how I see it is tithes come into the storehouse, to your local body of believers, to the place where you do spiritual life with. And if it's not church on the hill, great, find you somewhere that is your storehouse, that is your spiritual family, that you're all moving forward doing great things for God together, that you're a unit, that you are a church. That's what he calls us. And you say, well, I'm a part of the global church. That's great. Be a part of the global church. Give as much offerings as you want to give to the global church. But your local church is your storehouse. That's what he teaches here. And he says, and you haven't brought it into. And then he goes on and he says, test me. Who does that? God says, listen, I know you struggle to believe this. And the reason why tithing and offerings are a struggle for many of us, and it was for me, is because it's a spiritual principle. And the Bible says that the things of God, the spiritual things of God, are foolishness to the carnal mind. Like how is by giving 10%, is that going to cause it? And the, what God has done is, he, he, those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth, the Bible says. See, our God, our God connects with us on a different plane than the natural plane. He connects with us on a spiritual plane, on a way that makes no sense to everybody else. The carnal folks can't get it. The carnal mind can't get it. But when you and I say, Lord God, I don't really understand your ways, but I know that your ways are higher than my ways. And what I battled the Lord on tithing for a season of my life. I battled. I was like, why do you need money? You got the cattle on a thousand hills. Why do you need my money? I need my money. Especially when you grew up poor. Come on, somebody. I need every ounce of this right here. And then once I realized something, this is not about... How much are the money or the number? This is about a principle between me and him. Will I trust him? Will I trust him to do what he says he will do? He said, test me. Test me. And I would challenge you. If you've struggled with tithing, you're like, ah, oh, we just don't have enough. And part of that problem probably is because you haven't managed your, re- your finances well. Part of it is because for me, I kept buying every little thing my little greedy eyes wanted. And so I never had enough because I had to have the newest iPhone. I had the newest so-and-so and so-and-so. So I never had any money because I percentaged it out where there was no percentage left for God. It was all for me. In fact, as you really study the principle of tithing, he calls that his money, and it's supposed to come off the front, off the top before you do anything else. And again, I mean, that's you and God. Between you and God, you've robbed me, he said. Not Pastor Adam, not Church on the Hill. And he goes, test me. And I would challenge you. If you've struggled with that, get three months testing. Three months. Start trying to tie for three months and see what the Lord does. He says, and then he says, because what I will do, as you test me, he says, I will throw open the windows of heaven. I will, flood, I will, I will throw open the floodgates for you. I love that. that he, he says, watch this. I'm such a good dad. I will, if you will learn to be faithful to the principle of our love relationship, I promise you, I will flow, throw open the floodgates. So I will, I will bait you in with a truth. I want to prosper you, but you got to do it my way. That's the problem. Now, listen, I don't see why we have a problem with this, and I'll tell you why. Because each and every one of you that got a little bit of money, you've got probably a financial advisor. And what you did was you went to that financial advisor, and you all worked on an investment plan. You have a short-term investment plan, a long-term investment plan. You've got these, and you handed that person your money. And they said, oh, you need to try this, you need to try this Roth, or IRA, you need to try this investment. Oh, you really ought to do this. Someone told you you ought to take, buy houses and flip them. You trusted someone with a plan, and you worked that plan. And God says, I know the plans I have for you. They're going to prosper you, but work my plan. 
And one of the first parts of his plan is tithes and offerings. I know it's quiet, but it's truth, and so it's good. And then he goes on to say, not only will I throw open the floodgates, he said, but I will prevent the pest. Oh, my Jesus. I would, I, I would tithe just to get the pest away from me. Come on, somebody. I don't know if that's my children or my wife. I don't know what that really represents. Just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I don't know what that really represents. In our, I mean, for their time, can you imagine? Your whole life was all about the crops that you were able to grow on those 10 acres. Your whole existence, your whole family was about that wheat that you got out there in that field. And if anyone who's ever formed knows, and one little group of locusts, one little bug gets in that thing, and it's over. And you're now in the poorhouse. He says, I will keep the pest away from I tell you what, I am grateful that I am on God's plan. I'm glad I got his investment plan active in my life because I tell you right now, anytime a pest tries to steal what belongs to the Lord, what belongs to me and the Lord in, in, our, in our partnership, anytime, I just say, hey, you said, hey, hey, pest. They trying to steal, trying to steal my money. And God always comes through. It's amazing. So we see tithing as a key piece. Now, I had this great experience with one of our families last year. I talked something a little bit like this, and they came up to me and said, we're going to do it. We're scared, but we're going to start tithing. I said, okay, man, the Lord knows. I mean, listen, just start with wherever you, if you can't start with 10%, start with something. Just start the plan of God. Okay. And so I asked them to come and testify about that. And so I caught it on video this week uh, so we could play it for you. This is the Gomez family. Oh, and then the process, something pretty funny happened too. So watch this video, the Gomez family talking about their tithe experience. Hey guys, I'm here with the Gomez's, uh, Jonathan and Ashley. Come on, give them a hand. Woo! And they are an amazing couple in our church. Now, you guys have been coming to church on the hill for how long? About two years. About two years, more. that's right. And uh, and we had this experience about, uh, well, about a year. Yeah, about a year, a year ago. ago. Um, we were teaching, kind of like we're doing now, on um, on just God's principles in, in the Word about tithing, giving offerings, stewardship. And uh, I'll never forget, you walked up to me and you were like, um, we're broke. I don't know how we're going to do this, <laughs> but we're going to do it. So, <laughs> no, and I was, what I tell you, I was like, listen, God sees your heart. And whatever, just make an attempt to say, Lord, I, I want to try to uh, follow you in this principle. And you're like, okay, but it's, it's not going to be much. And I remember telling you that, and you guys need to know this too. I don't look at who ties and who gives what and how much they give. Uh, I really feel like uh, as your pastor, I want to be sure that you never wonder, does he, is he looking at the money to see if we're good enough Christians? <laughs> I, I believe um, in our walk with Christ. Um, we just do our best to obey him and that, uh, and that he takes care of the rest. And so, I mean, within a matter of like weeks or months after you started even doing that, I mean, tell, tell everybody. Throughout the rest of the year. So within that first month, bills were getting paid where we didn't have the income for it. Um, I ended up getting a raise at one of my jobs. And then within six months of that, I got a raise at the other job. So. And somebody just blessed us, you know, came up, gave us a check and blessed us. No rhyme or reason. Yeah, a pretty, pretty substantial check. And we're just here, be blessed. So. Wow. Yeah. And that really is his principle, right? Mm -hmm. About about uh, trusting him mm -hmm. with the tithe. And that's and, just trusting him just a little. Like, that's just $10. It doesn't have to be 100 That's exactly right. Yeah. And then we've been sitting here and you're like, okay, Pastor. So mm -hmm. I guess you called us for this and uh, we just need to be honest. <laughs> what were you telling me? Right. It's been a pretty difficult lately to, to tithe and we haven't. And things have been more difficult and we're stressing out a lot more. And then we realized... When you called us, we were really struggling the other day when they called us, like, hey, come talk to Pastor Adam about this. And we were like, 
Oh yeah, we haven't been tired. This is probably why things are really difficult right now. So I thought that was hilarious when you told me that. You were like, okay, he's found us out. Yeah. No, but to your point, you looked up and like, man, we're struggling. We're I'm working harder, trying to get ahead, and already again, like it's not working. And then like, oh my goodness, we haven't we been haven't faithful. been obedient. Yeah. yeah. I, what would you tell someone who's like, look, I don't even know if I believe in that. I mean, what would kind of be? Uh, I mean. It works. <laughs> Obedience works. He does bless us and reward us. Um, and, and it's tough. The enemy is always going to constantly come in and try to, to lie, still, kill, and destroy. And God's faithfulness and truth speaks for itself. Like, he doesn't lie. He doesn't, you know, if he says, hey, honor and, and obey me, I'll take care of you. He means that. And it's always going to be on his time, not ours, and we have to get over that. So good. Well, if you didn't believe me, at least believe the Gomez family because they're really living it out. God bless you guys. Yeah, give it up for those. Yeah, oh, pure in heart. It was so funny because I called them because of the great testimony of a, a year earlier, and they were like, um, yeah, we hadn't been tithing <laughs> so recently. I just thought that was so cute because they were, thought I was, like, checking up on them or something. Proverbs 3 and 9 says it like this. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled with overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. So the scripture teaches us that it's God who gives us the ability to bring in wealth. It's God that's given us the opportunity to be strong enough to actually work and actually, um, you know, come up with the ability to have wealth. So I don't, I don't, I don't know if you get the picture of this, but so when it comes to our wealth, it comes to our income, it comes to the paycheck that you get, you got to picture it as, as all that it is coming in. And God says, take the very first tenth and give it to me. So one, and then all the rest is you. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine. And then the Lord says, oh, great, that's awesome. Next paycheck comes in and give just 10% to me. And then guess what? Then all the rest, one, two, three, four. I know looking at my backside's not fun, sorry. Six, seven, where am I at? Four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine. I don't understand why God gets gypped and we say, well, I really think this is, I can do more with that. You got to understand what God's teaching you is a principle that if you will entrust him, he will take that faith walk with you. He will take that imagery of you saying, Lord, I trust you completely. And I'm going to take what little bit is hardly nothing. And I'm going to entrust that to you. And then what he does is, with that in the storehouse, he then takes that and prospers what you give to him. Now, again, you're not giving to church on the hill. You're not giving to me. This is God's. Your church is just the conduit that he wants you to give into so that he can do things around the world. And he wants to have this relational principle with you. And as you and I begin to trust him in that, because the goal is he wants to entrust you with more. He says, so if you've not been faithful with little, how how can I entrust you with more? So you think about that. If your kid finally begs you to where you, they, you get them a cat, you finally go, okay, but you're going to clean its poop box. You're going to take care of it, right? How many of you did that with an animal and your kid had to have an animal? Okay, so then they get a cat. Three weeks into it, they don't even remember they have a cat. You're cleaning the box. You're, come on now, you're feeding it. Then they come to you three weeks later and like, can we get a puppy? I want a puppy. It's Christmas time. All I want for Christmas is a puppy. What do you say? You haven't, you haven't taken care of the cat. I'm not about to give you a dog. Because a dog's a lot more work than a cat. 
And that's what you got to understand. God, God's just saying, listen, let me see how you do with a tenth. Because I want to send through your hands prosperity to a place where you can touch the world. So we see tithes and offerings. They kind of go together. And as we explain it, a tithe is a 10% of our income uh, uh, brought into the storehouse. Offerings are those special moments where someone maybe in your life needs something. The church says, hey, listen, we're doing something special. Well, uh, would you be willing to give above your tithe and make this thing happen, this project that the Lord's told us to do? Those are special offerings. In fact, we see Jesus engaging in Luke chapter 21, verse 1, engaging the widow. In verse 1, it says it like this. And he looked up, and Jesus saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Uh, King James calls it a, a mite, which was less than a penny. I tell you the truth, he said, this poor woman has put in more than all the others. All of these gave their gifts, their offerings, their gifts, out of their wealth. But she gave out of her poverty, excuse me, but she out of her poverty put all she had to live on. Jesus is standing there, all these wealthy people just pouring in all this into this offering. And this big offering, and in biblical times at this moment, there would have been these big metal cisterns, these big metal, I mean, I mean, big bucket looking things. And when the coins hit, ching, ching, it would have been making all kinds of noise. And so they would love to pile up all of their gold coins and they just pour it in there and everyone could hear it. And they knew when the real rich people came because it was just a constant flow. And then all of a sudden, this little poor lady walks up and she puts her two mites in. Why did she do that? She knows that her two little mites have no real value compared to all the riches that these other rich people have put in. Why would she do that? Because she understands what most Christians don't understand. That this has nothing to do with how much goes in there. This has everything to do with me and God. This is about me and God. And guess what God did? God saw it. Because Jesus is God. He goes, (laughs) that's my girl. That's my girl. I will take care of her. Friend, when we get to heaven, we're going to all ask to go swim in her pool. She's going to have a mansion on top of mansions. Why? Because he said, because she didn't give out of her riches. She had nothing, and from her nothing, she gave all that she had. See, this is, this is the breakdown. And, and, and listen, I really struggle with people who call themselves Christians. Either he's God or not. You need to make, you need to make a decision on that. Either the God of the Bible is the real God. Either you're serving a real God who's filled you with his real Holy Spirit, whose word is actual and true, whose principles are life, or they're not. Make a decision on it. And I made a decision years ago, even when I was confused. Listen, I really struggled with tithing and offerings about 10 years ago because we got into all these brand new cool theologians who had all these bright ideas and and taking the word and all this kind of stuff. And that that was an old tithing, was an Old Testament term. Listen, before there was, uh, before Abraham gave to Melchizedek, God had expected Cain and Abel to give of the first fruits. So that's been in play from the history of humanity. Well, oh, but yeah, but in the New Testament, they didn't really need to tithe. Yeah, in the New Testament, they came and brought all that they had and put it at the apostles' feet. And they had communal living. Thank God we're not doing that anymore. I'll be, I'm happy with the 10th. Come on, somebody. I'm just, I love y'all, but I want y'all living all up in my house and we sharing toilet paper and stuff together. I mean, thank God that that didn't, that didn't, that was a moment in time. It was not a consistent principle. And what I see in God is if we'll trust him, he will entrust more to us. This sweet little lady had a revelation. I'm not giving to the church. I'm not, I'm not giving, I'm not trying to outdo these other guys. I don't even care if anybody knows this. This is God and me and my personal relationship with him. This is him being able to entrust me. And it's me entrusting him. 
Are you with me? Say yes. Let me give you, if you will, God's goals in prospering you. It always helps me to know what is God trying to do through this whole thing? What's he trying to do? Because can you imagine her little pennies? She, she, she had to say, well, they're not even going to buy a light bulb. We're not even going to get a roll of toilet paper in my synagogue over these two little pennies. This is, a, this is a thing between me and God. But God has a plan in this whole thing. Number one, in prospering you, that the world may see him for he, who he is. And that is a good father. He's a good father. Is he a good father? Say yes. All right, then don't sing the song if you don't believe him. He's a good father. And he wants the whole world to see that by the way he takes care of his kids. How many times have you and I been embarrassed because we couldn't get our kids what other people were able to get their kids? We wanted everyone to know we love our kids and we're doing our best. And so some of us have worked ourselves to the bone inappropriately just simply because we wanted to prove to the world that we were good parents and we wanted our kids to get anything and everything they wanted. We've actually spoiled them as a result of that one piece of our heart of trying to be sure that the whole world knew that we were good parents. God the Father has no limited resources. And when he prospers us, the whole world sees that our God is the real God. He's a good father. Here's the second purpose behind him wanting to prosper, and, uh, prosper us, and that is uh, you become a conduit for him to touch others. When God prospers us, we now become a conduit for him to move into the hearts and minds and lives of others. Because I'll tell you right now, it's so fun and so wonderful to be like Jesus and bless others and be able to say to people, listen, I didn't have nothing a few Christmases ago, but God's done a work for our family, and we want to give you all this. As you're down on, down on your luck right now. And they go, oh my God. Wow, thank you. Thank you so much. And we're able to say, yeah, God did it for us. And now we're able to help others. To be a conduit. Man, that's what's missing in the world today. We keep trying to take it all for ourselves. And then we get to feeling guilty about it when we get super rich. And then we want to go help the poor little people. I don't want to go help the poor little people. I want to be a person who always loves hurting people. I don't want to be a one-time-at-Christmas kind of moment. I want to always be helping people. I don't want to help them eat for a day. I want to help them eat for a lifetime. I don't want to give them uh, a little gift. I want to give them a leg up. Are you with me? Say yes. This is the mentality all throughout the biblical scriptures that God wants you to be a conduit to help others. And here's the third final goal that I see in Scripture that God is after. We saw it in that Malachi passage, but that is this, that your community is transformed. He wants to prosper you so that your community is transformed. Proverbs 11.10. When the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. When the wicked perish, there are shouts of joy. Through the blessings of the upright, a city is exalted. But by the mouth of the wicked, it is destroyed. Jamie and I went to a church, grew up in a church where we're from, right outside of Baton Rouge, in just one of the suburbs of Baton Rouge. We lived in an area called Baker, Louisiana. And uh, the church that we, I, I was on staff at uh, was the largest church in our state. At, uh, we had a 6,000-seat sanctuary. We had over 10,000 people in weekly services. In a city, Baker was only probably, I'm not even sure, maybe 20,000. I'm guessing at this point it was small. One high school, uh, one junior high, you know, two elementary schools kind of thing. And uh, we had the, not only the largest church in the city, and the next closest was 500-member church, but the largest in the capital city, in the surrounding area, in the, in the parish or county, as well as in the whole state. Our pastor, magnificent man, wonderful man of God, phenomenal to this day, one of the great heroes of the gospel to me. And our pastor had been a missionary, so he started having a vision that we would send missionaries to the world. And we began to just touch the world all over the nations of the world. But in the process of doing that, we lost something. And that is a real desire to take care of our city. And what happened was, 
somewhere in the mid to late 90s, we started to experience what the news people call the white flight. The prosperous people in our city began to move out further out in the suburbs, further away. We became a little bit more urbanized. And so as a result, all the people wanted their little kids safe in the new school districts and so forth and so on. Well, our pastor, wanting to be able to continue pastoring those people, started a second campus out in the burbs, way out there where all the people were moving to, where all the new neighborhoods were. The 6,000-seat campus, the main campus, began to dwindle and dwindle and dwindle. The city where I grew up at, where I played Little League Baseball at, where I went shopping at TGNY, you don't know what that is, Walmart, Kmart back in the day, began to go further and further down. The school district began to fall apart. All the, all the families who had the ability to pull their kids out of the public school system and drove them to private schools in outlining areas, sold their homes and moved to outlining areas. In the city that I grew up, the place where God met me, where there was a 10,000-member church in a city of no more than 20,000, began to fall apart, if you will. Began to become ghetto, if you will. All because the leadership of the church did not have a vision to prosper the city. When I moved to this area, Texas... I looked around and I said, God, I, wanna, I don't want to live in the burbs where everyone's running away from what they're scared of. I want to be right in the middle of it. I want to put a church right in the middle of where things are urbanizing. Lord, I, wanna, I don't want to build a mega church. What I want to do is I want to see the righteous prosper so that the city can rejoice. That through the blessing that you give to us, the city can be exalted and lifted high. What my pastor did not recognize is that he could have put every believer in his church in places of leadership in that city we could have had the best we could have had the best sold out love jesus uh, uh, school uh, uh, you know uh, uh, principals of the high school we could have got the we could have put the right superintendent into that position we were that influential we could have we could have picked the next mayor we could have we could have attracted contractors to come in and build out neighborhoods that could flourish but instead we followed the flight into suburbia instead of marking the ground and saying, our city will be exalted because as God blesses us, we will bless our city. As God touches our lives, we will touch our city. So when we moved here, we looked around and we said, okay, our nation says that black, white, and Hispanic people cannot live together. That where there's a high minority population, uh, there's a high crime rate. And there is lower housing values. And so we said, we don't believe that. We believe that's a lie from the pit of hell. And so we got straight to Cedar Hill because it had one of the highest minority populations. And Frank, can I tell you something? I don't want to say that Church on the Hill started it because we aren't. Trinity, uh, Assembly of God Church, Trinity Church, uh, the Mayor's Church, uh, uh, the Church of Christ, uh, Toby uh, here at High Point Baptist, they all came together because they wanted to see God do something supernatural in the city. And they said, if we'll start praying, if we'll start crying out to God, if we'll start walking the streets and crying out to Jesus, if we'll ask businessmen and women to move to our city and we'll come pray for their business, do you know that every Tuesday there's a group of Christians from churches all over this, all over the city that get together and they go from business to 
school, from business to, 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 to groupings of people and pray over them every Tuesday morning. We cry out for principles. We lay hands on principles. We go and pray for businesses. We are in Chick-fil-A praying for them. We go from place to place. We're a group of Christians that we're involved in praying for this city to be transformed. Can I tell you something? I'd like to report that Cedar Hill has one of the lowest crime rates in all the cities in the Metroplex. I'd like to testify to you that the people who live in City Cedar Hill are prospering financially. I'd like to tell you that little black kids and little white kids and little Hispanic kids and little Asian kids can live together in unity and moms and dads can love each other and say, your culture's a little different than mine, but I tell you what, I love it. You're fine. And we come together and the city is prospering. Business is coming here. Friend, I'm telling you, you can feel the peace of God the moment you come into the city. Why? Because a group of Christians said, if God prospers us, it'll cause the city to be prospered. It'll be exalted. We don't want to build a big mega church. We want to go from community to community, transforming cities in the metroplex. And we said, if we can't do it in Cedar Hill, we can't do it anywhere. And that's why we've been so adamant about getting you involved. Do you know that the, the superintendent asks us every week, does anyone in your church... Would they be willing to come and read to kids who are struggling with their reading and just sit with them for about an hour? Do you know that the, the superintendent asked the churches to send Christian people to come read to children who are having difficulty? Do you understand that they're constantly trying to get our, uh, the men in our church, the ladies in our church, to go and stand in the hallways and, and, and love on kids? They're asking Christians to do that. Do you know that we have a prayer meeting every year hosted by the mayor of our city declaring that Jesus Christ is Lord over Cedar Hill? When God prospers us, it affects the city. And instead of running away from that, but bringing our prosperity into that, it exhausts the city. God wants to transform cities. People are scared about urbanization. They say, oh, it's bad. No, it's kind of stuff. That's crazy. How far out are we going to live? See, God's heart is not for you to get you 17 acres out in the middle of nowhere so that you can drive in, open your garage, hope that you don't accidentally see your neighbor, and then get in and go, whew, I made it. Whew. Because look what all God has prospered me with. When the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. When the wicked perish, there are shouts of joy. Through the blessing of the upright, through the blessing, through the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. But by the mouth of the wicked, it is destroyed. We need to shut the mouth of the wicked, and we need to get involved and love our city. This is the prosperity that transforms lives. Prosperity is not so that you and I can camp out and be happy with all the little stuff. He said, and tonight your life will be required of you. Because you wanted to build bigger barns and keep it all to yourself. Years ago, I was watching this podcast of this preacher. And he was one of these, you know, prosperity televangelist kind of guys. And he's a big church out in the middle of nowhere, somewhere, excuse me, out somewhere. I just try not to let you know who it is. And he started telling a story. He said, my son, my adult son pulled in the parking lot of the church today. An old nasty beat up car. And I said, no, sir. I pulled him into my office. And I said, you're a son of the most high God. You're royalty, son. How dare you drive a car like that? He said, so I called our chauffeur. And I said, bring our, uh, you know, our Rolls Royce. That's what it was. Our Rolls Royce around. And take me and my son for a drive today. 
And so I put my son in our Rolls Royce, and we drove down through the city. And you could see everybody looking at us. I said, see how they look at us? See how they look at us? We're royalty, son. And as he's saying it, I'm getting, I'm like getting so mad. I'm like, how do I stop this? This is wrong. And the Lord spoke to me. I said, I don't care if you have a Rolls Royce. He said, the question is, while you're driving that Rolls Royce, and that homeless guy with throw up all in his beard is sitting right there on the corner, would you put him, pick him up, put him on that leather seat, and go feed him? Would you allow that car to be scratched in the parking lot of Walmart? See, the problem, Adam, is that people call themselves blessed when the thing owns them instead of them owning the thing. God don't care if you have a big old fine house, fill it with small group every weekend. God don't care. He don't listen. It's a tool to transform lives. He wants to bless you and favor you and prosper you so that you can be a conduit to help others. Friend, I would, if God, listen, God wants to give you millions of dollars so that you can give away 900,000s of dollars. He wants to, he wants to use you to touch the world. But the problem is when he starts blessing us, we start doing this. It's mine. It's mine. That's why we titled this being rich in God. 